You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Globalization, the flagship digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. In the 21st century, terrorism continues to be a phenomenon that plagues countries all around the world. In this foreseeable podcast, Professor Francesco Mancini gives us insights on terrorism and how it could change in the future. Could you start with the the definition of terrorism for us, especially maybe for younger people who who may only think of it as what they see on the news? Yeah. So terrorism is actually a very old phenomenon and is traditionally um, has to be considered as a as a tactic and is generally the tactic of the weak meaning of groups that don't really have an army at disposal and they are generally facing a stronger enemy. And so they use terrorism as a hit-and-run tactic. Um, We've seen that throughout history. Uh, Think about the U.S. Civil War, for example, um, where smaller groups that want to resist a certain force um, use this terrorist tactic. Um, or thought we kind of know what terrorism is, uh, there isn't an agreed-upon definition. Um, the United States, for example, has multiple definitions, depending if you look from intelligence point of view, from defense, or from State Department. Um, but overall, we all agree that terrorism is an act of violence that is uh, ideologically motivated, as some kind of political goal, and traditionally targets civilians. Uh that means that is not an attack during a combat operation, for example, mm. but it's actually targeting bystanders or, or people not in uniform or, or normal civilians. There was a famous G7 meetings in the 1990s where there was a conversation around the definition of terrorism and uh, the overall agreement was that we don't actually need a definition of terrorism. It's a bit like pornography. We know what it is when we see it mm. and we can still do counter-terrorist measure without having a full-fledged definition. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some of those countermeasures? And what can you give us a state of how terrorism is viewed in the world today and what's being done to address it? Yeah, so one of the, the evolution and the trends of terrorism that we've seen is that it moved from the more political, ideological motivated. Uh, if you think about Europe in the 70s, you can even think of Southeast Asia, um, obviously with a lot of sort of left-wing uh, fringe um, uh, using terrorist tactics, has moved away from that into becoming more religious motivated. Um, and uh, this is a trend that also become more complicated because has um, point out a particular religion to be more prone to radicalization, which is obviously not true. Mm-hmm. It's just that the, the particular historical moment in which we are um, that sees most of these terrorists that are coming from a particular set of groups. Um, but the phenomenon of radicalization is something that cut across different cultures, different religions, and different political ideologies. Mm-hmm. If terrorism is a tactic then um, what do you think of when the United States declares war on terrorism, or it's like a a war on a tactic? Policy-wise, is that helpful? Um, No, I I, I never thought that there was a helpful framework. Uh, And I think we also have seen after, you know, close to 20 years of of that policy, um, that there are some substantive challenges here. I think one key challenge is that making the war on terror uh, your key foreign policy framework um, it's very limiting. 
is the reality there are many other geopolitical challenges that end up to be overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at what the U.S. has done in the last 15 years, a concentrated effort in certain parts of the world while other things were happening somewhere else. Um, so that's a, a sort of strategic mistake. Um, but as you said, secondly, um, you can't really declare a war on a tactic. Um, the the effort is way more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And that goes into the conversation on what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but the, the complexity of terrorism does not um, lend itself for having a sort of a one-prone strategy. Right. So what, what are the more... Um prudent ways to address it. So I, I think, let's start on general in principle. Yeah. So overall, you have to think about terrorism as having two dimensions. One dimension is geographical, meaning that a terrorist um, um, movement is global, regional, as well as domestic. All these three interact with each other. And if you think, for example, Southeast Asia, and you think of the case of the siege of Marawi in Mindanao, Philippines, those uh, combatants had influence that were coming from abroad, they were coming at the regional dimension and obviously very localized as well mm-hmm. because of the history of Mindanao. Um, so these three levels always matter. Then there is a second dimension, which is multi-policy. Terrorism generally is a problem that is addressed as considered a security issue. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. And it is a security, intelligence, and a law enforcement issue. But terrorism is also a social issue. It's also an educational issue. And I would even say even an economic issue. So it's a typical problem that has to be tackled on what we call an all-of-society approach. I'm saying all-of-society on purpose is not all-of-government. Because it's not just about government agencies coordinating each other, uh, but it's also involving communities, private sectors, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So that's in terms of broad principles. Now, when it comes to actual concrete policies, obviously the the front is intelligence, is law enforcement, is prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why we're always very worried about terrorists is because one attack is enough. Right. So if we just look at the statistics, you're, you're more likely to be hit by a car mm-hmm. than being blown up by a terrorist. Mm-hmm. But that's the wrong way of thinking about it. It's because just one attack can have not only physical implication, but also a lot of um, psychological implication, right? Um, you know, kind of undermining a society, creating other issues, and, and the backlash of that um, can have repercussion in policies for many years. So that's why we're so worried. Mm-hmm. Even just one case is, uh, is, is, is bad enough. But there are many, many studies out there that try to understand why people move toward violent means to achieve whatever they have in mind. And there is no one single theory. Nobody will tell you, in honesty, that there is one reason why someone becomes radicalized and decide to commit an act of violence. Mm-hmm. There are many factors. Some factors might be due to particular alienation within societies that might have to do with economics. It might also be the fact that you know, you're a second or third generation uh, foreign in a country where you feel you're not integrated, you've been frustrated, and so on and so forth. There are a lot of education factors. We know for a fact that a lot of the people become radicalized are actually not really experts of that religion. So they get manipulated very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, another element is obviously the cybersphere. Radicalization doesn't happen today in a church, in a mosque, or in a synagogue. It's actually happening online. Mm-hmm. 
and that makes so much harder for a country uh, to control that conversation. And all these elements play together, which means obviously that a country, a state, has to uh, develop policies that are coherent with each other and work in all these factors. One thing that this is also very linked to how people uh, see the rule of law uh, is a preventive arrest. Um, if you look at uh, preventive arrest, um, most experts will tell you that it's actually necessary. But we know that in some societies this is very controversial. Mm-hmm. Of course, yeah. Um, so I, I'm not advocating this as a kind of a cut across. It really depends in the context. But we know that is actually something that can be very useful. That has obviously to be combined with policies of rehabilitation and reintegration. And today we know that policy of reintegration and rehabilitation works if they are targeting not only the individual that has been radicalized, but also his community, mm-hmm. family, right. you know, relatives, uh, and, and the community around. Right. So it's a much more complex. The very first uh, attempt of uh, re- um, de-radicalization programs were just targeting individual. Right. Um, and today we know that actually it's much better to target mm-hmm. the overall social environment. Okay, I see. Well, would you like to talk about the situation in the Asian region? Because obviously, uh, you know, the Middle East and the Caliphate and ISS, Al-Qaeda, those have been the face of terrorism, if you will, at least in the, the way the media presents it. But as it is a tactic that can be used by any group or any individual Let's say starting from you know China, this direction. What are the hot spots? What are the areas? And what are the groups that are um, causing trouble? Yeah. Um, so you, you're right to to link all these two dynamics in the Middle East. Um, obviously, a lot of the dynamics that are coming into the um, Islamism. We're talking about only Islamist radicalization, but obviously there are many other groups that being are radicalized and commit a lot of crimes in Myanmar. There are many cases of of radicalized Buddhists that are committing uh, acts of terror. Um, but see, we focus on the Islamist uh, uh, radicalization. Uh, obviously, the, the, the starting point is very much into the Middle East, not only in terms of the reading of the particular Islamic jurisprudence, but also the political dynamics mm-hmm. that have created um, triggers right, for act of terror. Um, a lot of have been said about ISIS um, and the fact that they seize territory in what uh, is Syria. Um, This is a very unusual terrorist tactic. Terrorists do not seize territory. Uh, When they do that, they generally lose. Um, And that's very coherent, because generally, if you are a a terrorist organization, you don't have the force uh, to face an army. Uh, So I'm never surprised that Daesh obviously lost control of Raqqa and other places in Syria, because obviously there is no way that they can face right. armies. So that was a kind of an aberration of seizing the territory. What concerns us most is that people who are being radicalized in this context, they're moving back to their own countries, bringing with them not only the ideology, but also training right, and capacity to perpetrate terrorist acts. Um, now, in Southeast Asia, experts says there are approximately 60 different groups that pledge their loyalty to Daesh, Mm -hmm. Al-Qaeda, broadly speaking. Um, Not all might have operational capability, but they're obviously present and they're followers. And 
we know for sure that they're in a constant attempt to strike some attacks. And we've seen. I mean, Indonesia have seen periodically, mm-hmm. not only the big Bali uh, bomb attack in, in 2002, but all others' attacks in you know, different locations uh, in Jakarta. And then I think the big turning point in this region was the Marawi uh, siege, um, where not only the Filipino government, but I think everybody was kind of taken by surprise. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it took months to regain control of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of victims, uh, 900 foreign fighters, uh, you know, thousands of civilians. Um, it was very bloody. And I think ASEAN overall realized that they were not really ready for these kind of operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, there's been a bit of a scaling up in cooperation and mm-hmm. moving from cooperation to collaboration. Okay. And working together. Um, I think that was a was a big moment. And then obviously you have pockets. Uh, you know, China has been affected by terrorist acts in 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 in, in different parts, in particular in certain region um, where um, the ideology of this radicalized uh, Islamist is more present, um, which is a region which border with Kazakhstan. And um, and then you have Myanmar. Obviously, there are cases of terrorists there. Then moving to a toward the west, uh, you go to South Asia. Now, in South Asia, there's actually quite a tradition of terrorist mm-hmm. attacks, right. uh, both in India, in Pakistan, and in Sri Lanka, very recently, talking about being taken by surprise. That was also a big surprise, right? Mm-hmm. I think the Sri Lanka government was really taken by surprise. Yep. Um, and um, and then, obviously, moving toward Central Asia, we have Afghanistan. Right. But in some context, terrorism becomes a war strategy and tactic, Mm-hmm. And that's particularly the case of of, of uh, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other places, is linked to uh, liberation movements, right? So they're all kind of different. So I don't want to make one single basket of all different phenomena, but I'm just highlighting hotspots of particular terrorist issues that are present right. in Asia. And then I suppose we should mention like the New Zealand yes. event, which Thank was you. like white nationalist Absolutely. sort so of moving ideology. Yeah. A bit south and and east, you see also how radicalization is not. Uh, limited to a particular ideology or a particular religion is something that cut across um, and it was this horrible act of violence um, was also somehow reverberated and kind of multiplied through online yes through the cybersphere and that's kind of a new phenomenon to some extent okay well let's talk about that then because I know that um, the online sphere is affecting so much of life these days and terrorism or radicalization, uh, manipulation, uh, changing the narrative. This is all sort of new over the last 10 years, 10, 15 years, maybe with the proliferation of mobile devices, internet penetration, all this. Talk a little bit more about the way that people are being manipulated online, how they're being recruited and how they're finding each other or what, what's the dynamic going on? Yeah. Um, so this is, as you said, a very new phenomenon um, where uh, most of the radicalization today happens through online means. Mm-hmm. Either is, you know, watching videos or uh, reading particular, you know, tweets and, and, and bits and pieces of things. And sometimes I would say also through the framing of certain global events uh, that then becomes a trigger and an inspiration and motivation. You know, in the 70s, the big motivation for some of the Islamist uh, radicalization was the Palestinian 
uh, fight. Right. Today, that has lost uh, centrality in the mm-hmm. narrative, and it has moved toward uh, different areas, right? Um, there was Afghanistan at some point, and obviously there was all the phenomena that were triggered by the so-called Arab Spring, right? The, all that narrative has become much more central now. Um, and part of these phenomenon are then manipulated online and becomes a sort of motivation. Uh, that's why in this part of the world, in Southeast Asia, a lot of people are very concerned about some of the events in the Rakhine state in Myanmar mm-hmm. uh, because um, the violence perpetrated against a Muslim minority uh, can be then portrayed as yet another injustice mm-hmm. to a community and then can create further radicalization. Um, it looks like that... Uh, some of these terrorists are very good in using social media. Right. They actually produce videos and products online that somehow are replicating some of the most uh, uh, sleek, you know, Hollywood trailers Mm -hmm. kind of product. Right. Um, So the fact is that those who develop these um, uh, ideologies are actually better than those who are trying to counter these narratives. Mm -hmm. If you look at some videos posted by someone who tried to counter that kind of boring right kind of very traditional thing someone talking and basically saying that this is wrong but all studies shows that it's not good enough to say that you are wrong correct I'm not going to convince you just saying replying to your post and say no that's wrong right Mm -hmm. that's not how it works so we need all to get much more um, um, advanced in Mm -hmm. the way we use uh, social media tools because Mm -hmm. a lot of these terrorist groups are actually very cutting edge. And they have the advantage of, you know, the things that engage people online are anger, controversy. Those are the things that help an idea become viral. Whereas, yes, talking reasonably about some subject in a measured way does not get shared as much. Is there any data about how to counter the narrative? Well, so first of all, um, in the last few years, all social media companies have scaled up in a massive way mm-hmm. um, their own countermeasure. Um, you know, maybe a bit late, uh, but now it's happening, and it's happening in a big way. And I think the example of the Christchurch accident that we just mentioned was actually an accelerator of that. Mm-hmm. The fact that the video was actually, you know, seen for like 12 hours or something yes, online, right. um, you know, something completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is that artificial intelligence is still not good enough to pick up these things. As, let's say it's not fast enough to pick up these things. Mm-hmm. Also because there is a flagging system in which then someone has to check. Correct. Now you also have to think that all this happen in many, many languages. Correct. Yeah. Sometimes in many, many dialects. Mm-hmm. So just think about Indonesia. So, to do that is not just about having a machine learning process and artificial intelligence process that picked up that, but you actually need experts mm-hmm. who are able to understand that language, pick up the thing, and then take it out. And I'm talking about verbal, but think about the non-verbal. Correct. Right? Yeah. Images and so on and so forth. So we know that technology will do a lot to help us eventually, mm-hmm. but I don't think we're there yet. Right. And so it's inevitable that, you know, things are still surfacing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that said, I mean, I know on a daily basis, thousands of these mm-hmm. materials are constantly taken out right. of the online. Um, right. That's so, where we are. So that's a regulatory kind of approach, yeah. like putting the, the onus on the tech companies like Facebook, 
making them responsible for images. You talked about the community already and interreligious dialogue and that sort of thing. Is that being done in social media in any way that can provide a, a counter to the to the terrorist narrative or to the radicalized narrative? Yes, it's done. Mm-hmm. And so there are uh, community-based organizations that are using social media uh, to counter the narrative. Yep. Um, and I know because if I may say our uh, school, actually, we do some time training mm, okay. for these people. And we bring in um, communities from different parts of Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and maybe with a social media company to discuss how to scale up their efforts. Okay. Right? Helping them to say, okay, you, you know your topic. Mm-hmm. Now let me tell you how you can use our tool online to make your message more effective, to reach out more people, and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, so this is happening, and it's happening in a big, in big way. Now now's the time I'd like to, for you to look to the future. Give us a bit of what you foresee. You've already said that the collaboration has has improved, but that still you would say the region's not ready. So what do you foresee in the next maybe five to ten years? How do you think this is going to progress? So my, my sense is that uh, terrorism is a phenomenal that he has to stay. Um, and I think in the next few years we will see more cases rather than less. Um, a lot of these also requires time to be implemented, right? So the process of radicalization is not something that happened overnight. So you, you, you slowly develop a certain uh, affiliation with a certain way of thinking and then slowly you become radicalized. Then you meet the people who can actually bring you into certain groups. And so this takes time. Um, as we've seen some of the events that happened in these years uh, in the region, uh, in Mindanao, in Myanmar, and maybe even in, uh, um, in China, um, where certain reactions might take time to maturate into a more extreme thinking. Uh, but I think there is a lot of um, reasons out there for radicalized people to become, to become violent. Uh, and I don't see those reasons disappearing in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that we have a lot of people out there who have, um, you know, been radicalized and have a violent view of of of, of the world. Um, the fact that they cannot really find a cause in the Middle East any longer, at least for now, uh, also means that they will be focused more locally. Uh, they will try to uh, do an attack in their own context. Uh, less people will now try to go to Syria, mm-hmm. right? Just to make a concrete example. Um, so, from from the front of the threat, I think the threat is up there, is out there, and it will continue for the next uh, five to ten years. When it comes to reactions and policies, I think countries are getting better and more sophisticated in dealing with terrorism. I think from let's take the nine eleven to two thousand one as a kind of a threshold or thinking. It was a very rough way of dealing with terrorism, right? Uh, now there's much more sophistication. And everybody agrees that this is not just about uh, arresting people or, 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 or killing terrorists, mm-hmm. okay? It's much more than that. Um, and so I can foresee that in the next five or ten years, actually countries will implement more sophisticated policies and be becoming more effective in countering this radicalization online. Um, so that will counter the, the potential of, of, of attacks. Mm-hmm. So I'm not necessarily foreseeing more attacks, 
but I'm foreseeing that the, the issue of extreme radicalization and violence is still going to be there and countries will still have to deal with it. It means that we'll have to put resources in it, mm-hmm. uh, which are both money as well as people, as well as intellectual resources to deal with these issues. So it's really just kind of an ongoing battle that's going to have to be addressed for generations? I think it's an ongoing. It can take different shapes in the future. Today, there might be one particular focus on Islamist radicalization. Tomorrow might be another, Mm -hmm. as it was 30, 40 years back, right? It was more ideological, political movements. Um, But the reality is that you will still have minorities, because we have to remember, these are very, very minority groups, right? But in terrorism, one is bad enough, right? So we're obviously talking about minorities, very small group of people, but there's still a group of people that can make big harm in societies. And that's why it has to remain a top priority for the years to come. Okay, thank you very much. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else that you wanted to say that that we haven't covered? No, or that's anything? good. Okay. I think that's all fine. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Great. Well, thank you so much. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global is Asian. Global is Asian.